again for tuning in to the Dallas Design Sprints Podcast. My name is Robert Scrogue, and on today's show, I'm very pleased to present Gosha Pytel. She is an instructional and product designer coming from the Call Center School in Northern Ireland. We have a discussion around how she does design thinking workshops and some of her interests with design sprints. I have to apologize in advance because the audio quality for the first 10 to 15 minutes of this podcast is pretty low. I was late from a previous appointment and couldn't get in front of a decent microphone. So if I sound like I'm talking through a wind tunnel, it's entirely my fault. But Gosha was a good sport and we made the best of it. So hope you enjoy the podcast. Uh, so professionally, I'm an instructional designer, which means that I create content for online learning. And when I mean create content, it's not, it's not just writing text. It's, it's going from start to finish, including any psychology behind learning and uh, adult learning theories and, and everything like that. Um, so that's, that's one half of my professional life. And then the other half of my professional life is design thinking. And I teach, uh, I do workshops, I, um, I talk about it and I can talk about it day and night. And, uh, and I consult companies on how to use it or just help them out figure out uh, way they, where they went wrong with design thinking. Are you promoting primarily design sprints or is it a variety of different techniques? Before I knew that design sprints are actually sort of like trademark name, um, that's something that I would do anyways, especially with business consulting. I would usually take them away from, to take my clients away from work for four or five days. But that's not, unfortunately not the case in most cases. So I would promote design thinking mostly, um, different exercises and different techniques. I'm not very well well versed in design sprints yet uh, so i don't feel like i can i can use that name you know and, and feel confident in it um so it's mostly design thinking or just at least part of it because if they if my clients pick up empathy or they pick up the idea of failing and and learning from your mistakes i'm i'm a happy camper with that as well what kind of reception have you gotten with your services Usually a very positive one. Uh, there's always sort of my take on it before even I go to, uh, to do anything. And then that comes back to my days uh, as a teacher is that there will be someone who loves it, someone who hates it, and everybody in between. But usually the response is positive. There is usually one or two people, depending on, on how the, a big of, uh, of a group I'm teaching, but there's all, usually someone who would say, oh, you know, I've been doing this my whole life. Uh, professional life and that's usually someone who doubled in in UX um, and and in the same group there'll be someone who will come up to me and say well thank you for opening my eyes um, at least on this particular subject because I was working in a very very certain way and then now you, you you showed me that there is much more to it and I'm gonna at least try to to make it work in my company or at least in my in my work so usually it's a positive reaction which kind of it's something that keeps me going because if, if people were leaving saying I hated it and like didn't really change anything for me, I think I would quit. But because of such uh, positive reactions, um, I'm thinking, well, this must be something that, that helps people. And I like helping people. How have you found that your background as an educator informed you on how to apply design thinking? There's definitely a lot of psychology behind it and also a lot of practical tips. One, in one way, something that was extremely helpful but may seem silly to people who, um, who don't know the details of it 
it's dealing with different people during the workshop. So it's, it's knowing how to approach someone who wants to be always the one to answer a question and knowing how to approach someone who's always, you know, angry. That, that's something that I picked up when I was teaching. So that's, that's one thing, but also, also something that is helpful, but that, that goes with along with design thinking. It's it's a sort of a combination of design thinking and and teaching. Would be when I go in to teach a group, and if if I have the possibility to do research on them, that's even better. But if it's a workshop during a conference or something, so some event like that, um, there's obviously a mismatch of people, and I don't have that that opportunity to do any research be before that. So in, in this realm, it kind of helps me to figure out when I meet the group and I do some icebreakers and we kind of warm up and, and we get to know each other, I can spot those characters um, from the very beginning and then I can adjust exercises to fit uh, the group. So that's something that is extremely helpful. It saves time at the same time. It makes me feel better as the educator and as the facilitator because I don't have to be frustrated when something doesn't go according to plan. But it also makes the group feel better because obviously if you're, if you're tending to only one person and if the, or if the exercise is not really matched with, uh, with the group, they suffer as well. And you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm doing it for them and I'm trying to pass that knowledge to them. So those are definitely um, those two helpful, helpful techniques. And then um, something, that, something that I do before, before going to any workshops, and especially if I, can, if I, if I go to a client, that would be um, making sure that I know what my, I don't really like saying target group, but for the sake of conversation, I know what the target group is. So, you know, there, there are certain adult learning theories that will help you uh, figure out how to approach adults and um, how, to, how to scale exercises. So, for example, I know not to make examples out of cartoons, but I know that adults like real-life examples and they like learning by doing. So I can apply that and, and make it more or tailor it to, to their needs. What, what are some characteristics about the way you do workshops that are different from other people? I'd like to think that they would say humor, a good, good atmosphere of letting them not be afraid of asking questions and saying that they don't, they don't know the answer. Practicality, I think they would say practicality. Yeah, that would be the three top features. So you're very personable when it comes to applying your, how you do things at a workshop. I, I do, or at least I try to. I'm not saying that I always succeed because sometimes, depending on the project, I kind of tend to think that maybe I already know the target audience and I know those people. And then I think it's a, it, it happens not very frequently, but it does happen. And then I, I kind of try to remember that, you know, even though you think that those people are the same and, and those are the same people as you are, uh, they literally are from different countries or, or different age gaps or something like that. And that influences it as well. But I do try to make it practical. If it's not a practical, for example, if, it's, if I can't find any examples of, of how they can apply it right away, at least I try to find examples that are practical for their field obviously, but also from their country. So I try not to talk about, say, Nepal, if I'm in the UK, because even though in some cases it might, there might be a connection, 
for that particular group in that particular situation, that is not something that they're interested in. And they don't really, sometimes, sometimes the group can't really see the connection in between, even though it's, it's a good case and it worked and it's, it's an example of, of a positive application of the theory, they don't really see how they can change it to their, their own playing field. Speaking of countries, by the way, you've made the trip from Poland to Ireland. I travel a lot. Um, and I remember I came back before I made the decision. I came back from probably the longest and farthest trip I have ever made to this day uh, on my own as well because I traveled solo. And it was Australia, New Zealand, and Malaysia. And I came back and was a month away. And I was on my own. I was having the time of my life, traveling, meeting people. And I remember thinking that the world out there, like there's so many other countries and so many other approaches to life. And to be honest, um, Northern Ireland was not my, my first choice. It kind of happened by a fluke because they, the company answered and that's how we kind of made the connection. And finally, finally enough, I was there about seven or eight years ago and I passed right next to the city uh, that I'm in. I'm in Derry. Um, I passed right next to the city, but I did, not, I did not stop. But now I'm a big advocate and now I'm, I'm trying to get all my friends to come and visit. <laughs> Sounds really interesting. I'm kind of wondering from your standpoint, since you're fairly new to it or you have a familiarity with it, what you're hoping the design sprint process could do for you, especially when given the, the kind of workshops that you do. I think it might give me more structure. I'm hoping there will be more exercises and I'm actually I, I don't even know um, if that's the right word but more exercises that I can introduce to my workshops more clients I'm hoping <laughs> on the practicality of it yeah that, that's mostly it because when I the, the, the knowledge that I have right now it does seem to be more structured than the usual design thinking workshop that I would do. And it's more fast. It's, it's a little fast paced, but what I like about it is the timekeeping. I, I'm usually, I usually try to do this on my own as well, but I tend to run over some exercises and, and give the, give the uh, people more time than uh, necessary. So that's what I'm hoping for more structure approach. But also, I'm, I've been recently thinking about the design sprint, design sprint 2.0, the need and, and the idea to shorten it even more. And I've been thinking, what, what are the reasons behind doing that for, for anyone who would like to do it? So that's, that's yeah. interesting. There's been a lot of thinking in that space, too. I think that's the next uh, stage of it, especially if you don't have that bulk of time for whatever reason that people can allot to being part of the process. I, there are plenty of examples now where people are piecemealing different activities. They're kind of taking some things from like the Tuesday day of the, of the sketching or the Monday day of the exploration of the problem. And they're reframing it for their particular situation, whether it's with 30 people or six people or 800 people and trying to figure out how they can retrofit this process for the intended outcomes that they're after. So I'm, I see more and more of that. And I think that's where it's eventually going, where it's going to be, it's, you can do the base process to get an understanding of it. But then from there, it's pretty much what you need it for. So but that's, if, I'm, right. if, I'm he if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like you would probably do that exact same thing. You would say, oh, this is what this process is. I could definitely use it to kind of keep things structured, keep things time boxed, make sure that things are predictable from the, from the perspective of, of process and procedure. 
I mean, is that, is that kind of what you were talking about before or where you're going with things? That's exactly what I was talking about, but that's what makes me, um, you know, curious about the changes because I, in my understanding, the idea of having it for four or five days was generally not to skip anything and not to, you know, puzzle it because you would lose that structure and you would lose the natural train of thought. Maybe that's the fact of me being at the very, very beginning of the road. Because now that you, you said that people are trying to change the idea and change and piece it together, that kind of goes in, that kind of goes back to me doing my own design thinking workshop and not marketing or, or naming it as, as design sprint. But we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. I, I think that's eventually where it will go, especially if you don't want to use the nomenclature of what the design sprint mm -hmm. is, because you, you may say like, uh, you know, let's say the four, the four step sketch or the sticky decision or other labels that are given in the design sprints. Um, there's someone here in Texas um, named Bill Alexi, who when I worked with him, completely abandoned some of the, 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 the names that were given to some of the exercises and just rephrased them in common language terms, which I think for his, his uh, audience, which was a CMO, that seemed to resonate fairly well so that it wasn't right. something that seemed hokey or kind of out of place. So that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, it's, and I think that's probably where you might go with it as well. It's like you don't really necessarily have to have somebody understand, for example, how you make a pizza. They just want the pizza. They just basically want to be able to have whatever you consume. And then if they need to help you create it, then great. But they don't really want to understand the, 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 font, the how exactly everything well, about the oven operates. Well, that's an interesting example. Never really thought about pizza this way, but now that you said it, <laughs> I, I, I would, I would, it's a, it's a great analogy because I would approach it differently. I don't, you know, I don't want them to not to be interested in how to make a pizza. Obviously I want all of us arrive at the pizza stage, um, have a big party and all, but, but at the same time, I do want them to have the understanding of how to make a pizza so they can go home and they can make their own pizza. Right. Or at least, it, it, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, that and they have a lifeline to you if they want to ask you questions later on about if they get stuck. How much sauce is too much sauce? Right. Is it okay if I, if I put two pounds of cheese on this particular side of things? But then at the end of the day, my usually following cheese and pizza, my answer usually is if you want to put two pounds on cheese on it, do so and see what happens. And then they learn on their own and they can come back to me and say, well, two pounds was too much, but I put one pound and that worked perfectly to me. So I'm not, I'm not going to go and use that as an example. So like that, I think that will happen naturally. People would go back, take the exercises and go back to, uh, to their own environment and figure it out on their own. The question phase, as you mentioned, that's, that's important too. But I wouldn't be like I wouldn't be too sad and sour if I if they didn't go back with questions, considering that they would think about the the process and think about how to apply it on their own. Um, I would be probably maybe sour if they went to someone else because you know then obviously something didn't go um, didn't go well. But if if they want to spend their own time on on thinking about it, then that's fine with me. I can kind of, my mind wandered to the situation when I was starting doing any workshops and I wasn't even like, this is very cheeky, but I wasn't even um, the master of it. And, and not that I am now, but I wasn't really at the level of, of using or, or, or feeling like people are stealing my ideas. But I still wondered about the fact that 
I saw people leaving our workshops and then advertise on Facebook that they're now doing design thinking workshops. And that, that was something that I struggled for a little while because I, I used to think that this will get me in trouble and will get me into, you know, the position of not having anything to offer. But I think, I think I changed my mind and I'm, I'm happy now if they go back and they, and they spread the knowledge. They teach other people how to make pizza. The more pizza, the better. That's the, <laughs> the bottom line. <laughs> well, the important thing is, is that they know who you are. They know what you can provide and why they would come back to you in the first place. It's something that I try to, uh, and I try to promote with other practitioners is that you have a unique point of view. There's no one else that's quite like you in terms of what you bring to the table. How can you amplify that and let people know how you differentiate from one other person? Especially if you're going after a niche market. If you can yes. cater towards a particular group that you know you have uh, resonance with, all the better that you say, this is, what, this is why for this, these particular situations, I'm perfect to kind of dial up and get me involved. Um, great advice to me and I feel like I knew this but hearing you say that it's like a, a little revelation to to myself but see I have a question um, it's it's slightly related but not really <laughs> say you're you're going to a place when design sprints design thinking whatever methodology is not very well known but you see the potential and you see that if you spend say a year and a half put all your energy into it, there might be something coming out of that. What would your take be? Do you think you would try to, to do it? Would you take the challenge knowing that it will take a little longer than usually and you might end up with people just saying, ah, nah, we don't really want it? I don't know if I would want to invest that much time mm -hmm. in, in, in a payoff that's uncertain. I would probably go the track of trying to understand what what the what their issues are what matters to them as a business what moves the needle for them um what kind of impact they need or what where are their their real needs what kind of impact can you provide can you help them at all um and really starting to understand what they're about uh plus they have to they have to get an impression of what you can offer too so I think it has, first has to start with relationships and in being able to understand who they are as a company, as human beings, and how they see you as well and, and what they know about you as a person and what you can provide. Because that will, that will provide the, the proper foundation for many different directions, whether it's you yourself engaging and, and exchanging time for money or referrals to other people that you know in your network where you're not ideally the person to do it, but you know somebody who's perfect for a need that they have, and in right. relying on that level of trust that they would they, that you that you've garnered with them to kind of move in that direction. I was thinking in terms of culture change. That's something that I've been trying to figure out lately. Using either design thinking or design sprints to, or in a situation when there is a particular culture, whether it's a, a an organization uh, culture or country culture? Well, you can look at it a slightly different way. What if you decided that, you, that, an, that another person, you wanted to keep the, the contract for yourself and didn't refer to somebody that you thought could do a better job, then what you're essentially doing is you're reserving your time and your energy for something that you may probably won't perform well at. 
for whatever reason, even if you think you can uh, attain the learning curve, the, the client is still going to have to endure that or at least hope that whatever skill or knowledge gap you have to, to get them what they need is going to be done during that time frame. And I think that if you, it, it's more beneficial for you to kind of, especially if, is, let's say, if your business is about, um, about design thinking workshops, but they need a solid senior copywriter because they have a marketing need, you could see yourself doing that or, you know, kind of learning that to keep, a, to, to keep the contract in your backyard, but you may not necessarily perform at a high level. However, yeah. if you have someone that you know in your network that you trust, that basically, you know, shows up on time, isn't crazy, does the work, um, and and can and can basically deliver on a promise, or at least deliver on a business outcome that both parties have agreed to. Then not only are you going to gain favor with the person that you referred to, and they're going to really appreciate it, but the business will also see you as an authority to a certain extent, or they'll value the network that you have. So they'll they'll assume that if they have another need, they may counsel on you. It they may not but they'll see you as someone that, that knows others that are at your caliber or better in terms of the work that they provide. That's, that's definitely my way of thinking as well. Um, of just, I kind of remember this time and I actually remember having a conversation with a friend of mine. She was giving me a lift and we, we talked about ad- admitting to what you don't know. And I'm, I'm, I'm definitely on the side of, saying i don't know this teach me and you know i'm 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 not gonna lie that i know everything um and i think that kind of goes with your answer as well i i wouldn't pretend that i can that i can do something for the same reasons that you mentioned but but that kind of goes to another moves to another question recently at the master class uh, q a on facebook i asked the question of how to explain to the client that design sprint should be given through a certain period of time instead of shortening it to just having it one day because i assume uh, that it's a it's a common question and i get this question with my workshops even if they're shorter even if they're like two days they usually would try to figure out how to do it in, in a day and if i'm asked for example by even by friends and I, I offer them that I can even do it pro bono just to kind of share the knowledge. If, when they hear that it will take at least a day to have an understanding and an actual product at the end and an actual step-by-step uh, understanding of the process, they, they're not really that um, happy about that information. The answer that I got was sort of maybe on the same side of, or the way that I understand it is that you can, you can do something through five days as, as the proven method shows and have a great product or great process and generally a good result at the end, or you can do it through uh, two days, but I'm warning you're not, you might not be happy. You might be happy, but you, we might not arrive at a conclusion that, that makes you happy because of the lack of time to focus, which kind of goes in with, um, with the same, the same approach of, um, making sure that you're giving them value and you're giving them the same value you would like them to have as well and, and push forward as well. So that's interesting. I think it's about setting expectations. So mm-hmm. if someone says, and I'll give a recent example of my own is working with my son's school to do a lightning decision jam. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. I was given half an hour to basically conduct one uh, based on a problem that centered around how parents and staff could work together in 2019. Now, the, the original process calls for an hour, but what I did is I took the how might we question that was posed by the school and cut out the first two, um, first two activities to start mm -hmm. getting them down the road of, of, of showing them how it's done. We ended up going 15 minutes over because they wanted to complete the exercise in, after experiencing what it was about. So it was mm -hmm. still a, a, a net positive for everyone. And I've been in that situation before where I've only had one day to do a design sprint or I've only had one day to kind of assemble yeah. activities. And like our earlier conversation, this is with, a, with a, an airline where they wanted to do a connected user interface for a lot of different, a lot of different interfaces. So we, we, ended up, we ended up doing a day-long design sprint, but we, we concentrated on the we did some initial exploration like on Monday, but it was shortened. And then we spent the rest of the day kind of sketching out and ideating ideas. And it, it actually, what it did is it brought everyone together in a way that, that it brought all sorts of disparate conversations together, and especially some undertones that were happening on the client side with some disagreements and they came out in a very neutral environment. Fast forward to right. the end and they were interested. They were like, okay, now we kind of get an idea of what it's about we'd like to kind of like do a little bit more. So once they, I guess my, what I'm saying is that once people get an idea or a taste of what the process is and if they like it and they feel there's value in it, then they'll, they'll for the next time we're go around, they'll either expand it to two days or they may expand it a little bit more, get more people involved to get more impressions. And it's, again, it's about building that trust, not only in the process, but you being the person that represents that process. Does that make sense? No, yeah, it, it totally does. I think it's it's very true. Um, I do sometimes struggle or struggled before because I think I arrived at, the, at a good recipe now, but I did struggle with trying to fit everything that I wanted to pass. And then now that I say this, it makes me think of my experience with subject matter experts when <laughs> I, I would have the, the task to design training and then talk to them and get the knowledge and if you're an expert, like you spend half of your life at least trying to figure stuff out and they would have like five presentations, 160 slides, slides each and everything was important. <laughs> so I had the same problem because I tried to, I, you know, I was thinking like, how can you get design thinking if we don't do this? How can you get the idea if we don't do this exercise or that exercise? But that, that, those, those days are gone. Um, I, I think it is tailoring it to a particular group obviously something that i you know that might be a difference as well and then correct me if i'm wrong is the idea that with design thinking there's definitely this heavy focus on figuring out what the real problem is and sometimes that's what i found out myself sometimes they would come up and okay maybe the root is slightly different but they still deal with a particular problem. They don't really want to go and find if that's the real problem, because even, we, even if we find the real problem, they still de deal with something else as a result. But with design sprints, I feel like the general starting point is we have this to do, and we don't really venture into, oh, maybe that's, you know, maybe there's something else behind it. Maybe there's some, some other root cause. And there's more yeah. thinking in this space around that. 
especially with some of the stuff that you see with problem framing or some, mm -hmm. some activities that AJ and Smart have, have publicized around doing some pre-sprint pre activities, whether it's the team kind of doing their own map ahead of time or talking with some subject matter experts in advance to get an idea of the problem space and doing due diligence. So the process in and of itself, the design sprint process, doesn't require you to do any pre-planning but the, if you follow what people do before that week, they tend to do a little bit of fact-finding and exploration oh, yeah. around what to concentrate on. Yeah, sometimes with clients, they, they, have, they, have, they have a real firm view around what they feel is the problem or the direction to go in. And they'll, that, that, even though instinctively that you may not feel that same way, that's just something you have to roll with. And sometimes that epiphany happens after day one or even in the middle of day two where they realize that they didn't frame the problem correctly. And then it's a judgment call on their part if they want to continue down the path they have or if they want to revisit it. But again, they're holding the contract. They, they're basically supplying the funds for the effort. They can pull those strings if they need to. And that's, that's yeah. typically how it goes. As long as you come to the table with a bit of understanding and empathy and knowing that they, that that you they're a human like you are and they can make mistakes like that it, oh, yeah. it's, it's being able to offer them the, the 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 option of you know what i think we can probably do this because then there's less there, there's there's an acceptance of that vulnerability on the client side to say yeah i know i get that here's here's where we could potentially go and yeah. and they still own the decision making process but now you've given them some some aspects to or different directions to go in and that's that's actually something that for me design design thinking did um, because I remember before I ventured into into this methodology, I remember in in different meetings during work and I don't know if that's how it goes in the U.S. but this idea behind or or in everyone's minds, well, if I don't know anything, I can't say that because like they're gonna fire me or you know, take away my, my benefits or something like that. And I remember doing this myself and thinking, well, I'm, you know, I'll pretend I know this. And okay, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes it does work. Sometimes you can say that you know this, but you still have time to go in and research. And obviously you're not the expert, but at least you can sort of finish with, you know, um, finish it with a, on a high. Ever since I started saying, again, I don't, I don't know that as, as mentioned previously, and I don't know this, but I will find out. I feel like the approach towards myself changed drastically. It doesn't have this, people don't think that you're just pretending, especially if you do come back to them with the answer and with the research that you've done, which I think is, is a big part of, of keeping the, the notion about yourself. That's something that design, really design thinking that for me, I, I understood that it's okay to not know facts and it's okay to come back. So my participants during any workshop, if they have the same epiphany and they go back, I'm, I'm, that's something that makes me really, really happy. As well as them going through understanding empathy. This, I find this the, the hardest part of any workshop on uh, going through empathy, especially if it's like five day workshop and I would spend say a day trying to figure out the empathy side, pretty much 90% on 90% of my workshops, people 
it, it felt like they didn't really get the idea and it felt like it was just boring to them because at the end of the day, like creating a persona uh, is not, it's not as exciting as prototyping, let's face it. Usually around prototyping, there's that moment when some of them would go, oh, that's, that's why we did this. Because I always keep the information that we gathered through all the phases. It's always visible so they can turn around and, and take a look at their empathy map or something. And then they, they would turn around and they would say, well, this is, this is why we gathered this. I'll, now I understand. And probably there is a way to make this stage of, of gathering empathy more exciting. I'm working on figuring this out, but I think they arrive at the idea of knowing why it is. And they, they accept the fact that I was talking to the kids that I was teaching uh, recently here in, in there in Northern Ireland. And, and most of them got the idea around prototyping, even though at first they just kind of started, I saw this happening, they started, but they were kids, like they were 16. They, they immediately went to use the prototyping materials just to create something vaguely related with the topic, just to kind of have, have fun and play around. And that's, that's normal, especially for kids. But I was going from table to table, trying to give them guidance and seeing how they how their work is going and, and, you know, and asking questions about the next workshop and asking questions about their understanding and, and if they want to, to ask any questions. So they were like, you know, now I, I, I get it. Like it was really boring. And they were very, very honest as well that like, it was very boring those three weeks ago when we were doing it, it was like once a week, but, but now I understand why, like, I understand I wouldn't, I wanted to do this, but I turned around and I, I saw this on the empathy map and I know it wouldn't work. And that's, that's, that's a good moment. Good moment. So how do people find out about you? Like, how do you market yourself as a, as a workshop facilitator? Currently, there is not a lot of marketing uh, just because I have my, you know, nine to five. I can't necessarily very often leave my, my desk and go on location and be with people during my own work hours. So I don't do it too much. Just there are people flowing that know me from workshops that I did in some events or at uh, speaking at conferences. I'm, I'm fortunate enough that they would reach out to me. That's how most of those things happened. I do have my website, but I don't really market it too much. I'm, I'm thinking about it maybe for 2019. I started appreciating network a uh, professional network that you have as well because of people coming up to me after after speaking at conferences and saying you know the the approach is generally positive as well yeah so so they would come up and say oh i wanted to do this in my company i don't know if they'll go for it but you know would it be okay if i send you an email and they usually remember about me and and do reach out to me which i'm i'm extremely grateful for to anyone who's listening <laughs> out of my <laughs> clients even though I do have nine to five, this is, which is slightly different. And I still use design thinking, but it's not primarily my job. I would like to venture out and do more design thinking and design sprints on a normal nine to five basis. One of the things I'm really bullish about lately is, is for people mm -hmm. to start doing self-promotion in the sense of letting people know about your personal brand and what you're all about. And when you have a full-time job, is extremely difficult given that you have other offline responsibilities to family and, and other things that are preoccupying your time. It's, you really have to reserve the time to make that work. Personally, for me, since I have my own business and marketing is just basically the lifeblood of whether or not people understand who I am and what I do, I do it all the time. Because of your background, because of your interests, the way that you naturally 
organize workshops in a fashion that fit the clients. Mm-hmm. I try to promote the idea that, especially it's like, say for your situation, people don't, you don't necessarily have to have crafted, curated, perfect content. You just have to start documenting your process and documenting like what you do as part of like you understanding design thinking or understanding design sprints or going about that. Sometimes it can be as easy as a link on LinkedIn that you share and and kind of give some commentary on it. And other times it's just basically doing it in a medium that you seem to communicate well in, whether it's podcasting or like audio or it's the written word through medium or through a blog post or even just, uh, you know, through a third party that basically summarizes it better than you can actually uh, communicate. So that's why I asked the question is like, I know you may not put a lot of time into marketing, but if you did and you're looking at 2019, how would you shout to the hills about what you do and have people understand what you're all about? Nowadays, people are bombarded with disinformation left and right. And it's really, it's part of it is having time to craft messages and put them on Twitter and everything. But even doing that, if you're like, I still feel like there's a little bit of luck because if, if someone doesn't refresh their Twitter feed when your message and your tweet is on the top, like all your efforts can be in vain, uh, which kind of puts me off a little bit on that. Thinking about promotion and, and generally just thinking about, because sometimes I, I don't think about this as promotion in terms of, it definitely is, don't, don't get me wrong. Um, but, but I think about this more about sharing my thoughts on, on how to, um, how to use it for people. And, so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to set up my own blog, uh, which I don't know if that's not too old fashioned, but, um, but I'll try to do it. I have my portfolio of some of the cases that I did. I don't have everything documented yet. Sometimes, and then especially, especially now in Europe, you might struggle with uh, something known as GDPR. I don't know if you came across it. So that might be really hard because say you have a group and, you know, two people are okay with it and then eight people are not okay. It's really hard to navigate around and take pictures and say, record something if they're not there. And I'm not saying that you, you need pic. Well, technically picture didn't happen, but you can still describe it, but it adds a little bit of reality. If you do have a picture or a recording. Um, so that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking about documenting my cases. I do have a couple of, or maybe one or two on my YouTube channel, which I'm trying to venture into as well. Uh, especially here, with the hills around and and I go hiking every weekend, which is not connected with my job, but I try to do uh, short videos of it as well. And I love watching people who do travel vlogs, but then I started taking and piecing together content related to what I do, which is way easier than doing a travel blog, by the way. But um, so that's what I'm thinking, a blog, um, case studies of my own and, and a YouTube channel. If people want to find out about you today, where would they go? They can go to any of my social media. Um, on I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, and on my website as well. My blog is on my website, and on YouTube as well. They can search for Gosia Pitel, which is G O S I A P Y T E L eighty three, and that's how I am on every social media that I am present on. That's also the address of my website, GosiaPitel eighty three dot net. So they can go and see me there. Gosha, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It was great. It was great to have it. By the way, uh, you're my first podcast interview, or I'm the first interviewee. So it was sort of breaking point. 
Uh, it was it was really great, and I learned a lot from hearing your responses to my questions as well, and generally the discussion. So thank you. No problem at all. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening to the Dallas Design Sprints podcast. If you have a question or a comment for us, we'd love to hear from you. Just send an email to Robert at DallasDesignSprints.com. You can also find us on your favorite social media channel, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and even Pinterest. Hope to see you next time, and thanks for listening.